Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Greetings, everybody. Coming to you from the cluttered and project-riddled Mighty Sparrow. It's fantastic. There's stuff everywhere. (laughs) Absolutely everywhere. Uh, The cockpit is almost completely disassembled. And down below, there's West System and fiberglass and toolkits and sandpaper. Man. I almost feel like I'm in a boatyard right now, but no, I am in the sweltering heat of South Carolina, and it's fantastic. I always, <coughs> excuse me, love the uh, juxtaposition of going from cold, snowy, ice age sort of weather to nice, warm, muggy, uh, hot weather. It always just feels pretty good. But today, our podcast is going to be brought to us, uh, or at least the subject is by a one of the Sailing Into Oblivion family, uh, a guy by the name of Mark, and he had a few questions about tech. What sort of tech do I have on this boat, a.k.a. how do I communicate, how do I get weather, AIS, all that stuff. So we're going to do a show. I don't know how long it'll be, but uh, I figure I'm taking a break from sanding and such because it's just about high noon, and it is ready or I am ready to get out of the sun for a little bit. You know, you go from super pasty up in the winter to uh, having to slap the old sunscreen on and definitely got a little color the other day. So that being said, before we start the show, like I always say, if you want to become part of the Sailing Into Oblivion family on Patreon and help support this podcast, follow the link to the Patreon uh site and you can sign up and help to keep this show ad free and just more than anything keep it going other than that and a big thanks to as i always say to the family that's out there right now that are supporting this show it's the end of the month so i'm sure a lot of you got the old ding in the old email saying hey we're about to charge you again for your donations and i appreciate it It is absolutely awesome, and uh, to see it keep growing is fantastic. I think we're at 45 right now, and that is still kind of amazing. I'm not going to lie. That is amazing to me. So thank you all so much. We do still have the merch lines out there, five different shirts, lots of hoodies. I added some of the children's size hoodies and T-shirts as well, so you might want to check those out. And then if you just want to write to the show, as uh, as Mark did for, for this podcast, you just head over to SailingIntoOblivion.com and uh, follow the podcast link and contact the show button. All right, let's get into it. Okay, so first and foremost, I am not an expert. <laughs> I just have a lot of experience, but I have always tried to keep Sparrow as simple as possible. Two reasons. One, Bernard Motissier told me to. In all of his books, simplicity is absolutely crucial when it's out at sea because the less you have, the less it can break. And two, it keeps the cost down of what uh, it actually entails to run a boat and own a boat and use a boat. It's pretty crazy to... uh, Outfit a boat with a whole bunch of stuff that you don't actually need because it's expensive. And I get it. I get it. It's nice to be able to see all these screens with all this information. And some of it I think is absolutely crucial. Other stuff I think there's just really 
not a huge reason to have it. Uh, but you know, again, this is all going to be my own opinion and not a, uh, a guide, I suppose for anybody to say, well, Jerome told me, <laughs> Jerome told me I didn't need that. Okay. So let's just, let's just get that out of the way here aboard mighty sparrow. Like I said, we keep things pretty simple. The most crucial aspects of the tech side of this boat are essentially communications and warnings between myself and other ships. Uh, the VHF communications between myself and other ships or marinas. Chart plotter. Uh, that one I almost never use. We'll get into that as well. Um, and then it's really communications with those uh, people who are on shore and being able to take in data according to weather and all that sort of stuff. And essentially, I kind of like to have two tiers on this boat. I like to have the modern, awesome stuff that gives you all the information that you need, but that's always going to be backed up by the ancient mariner in me that wants to be able to do all of this stuff without the use of any electricity. So that is sort of my thinking. Again, like I said, I like to keep things very simple. So there are quite a few things that I do without, and I've never really had any issue because I don't have them. Uh, I think it was John Kretschmer that said, you know, after something breaks and I don't have it anymore, I start to question why I needed it in the first place. And I totally butchered that quote, but I'm pretty sure he did say it. So smart man, best American skipper there is out there. Um, <clears throat> let's start off with AIS. So I have a standalone unit. I know you can get all sorts of different chart plotters and things like that that have AIS integrated into it. But I sort of like the idea of the old standalone. And I used to have uh, one that was called a Mazutech. It was the one that I went around the world on. It had a nice display. It was very easy to read. You could really, just at a glance, tell if there was a boat headed in your direction or not. And that one, unfortunately, I don't think they make anymore. And it was also the least expensive on the market. Now I have an ICOM, which is a standalone it essentially is, it's got its little screen. The display is pretty basic, so you have to actually do a little calculating yourself. Uh, you got to think a little bit. But ICOM has always been pretty bulletproof as far as standing up to weather and salt and all that sort of stuff. And that unit is down below at my nav station, and it has its own antenna. And now I have a spare antenna on board as well. I did have one on the last trip, but uh, it was the wrong one. I'm going to admit that right now. Let's just, let's just come clean, all right? <laughs> let's just come clean. I didn't test it before I went. Got out there, tried to hook it up, and it, it was the wrong one. So always good to have those backups, a little side note. But the whole standalone thing, it's kind of nice. I mean, I, I got to tell you, there's been a few lightning storms that I have been in that were so scary and I know that the only place on a boat, as far as I know, as far as I've been told, is to put electronics in the oven if you want to uh, make sure that they make it through a lightning strike. So with the standalone unit and because the ICOM is pretty simple, I mean, it's only like two or three little wires that are, that are holding the thing in, I can unplug that thing in two seconds, throw it in the oven, storm goes past, and la-di-da, I'm feeling, feeling pretty good about myself because the AIS really is probably if i had to pick one thing just one piece of tech to take out 
solo sailing on an ocean, I would have the AIS. I'd forego the weather. I'd forego the chart plotter. I'd forego the VHF. But the AIS is the one that allows me to sleep. It gives me uh, confidence that I'm not going to get run over, and it can push away all those scary thoughts of some thousand footer coming over the horizon at the same moment that I lay my head down for a, a nice little nap. So AIS, definitely, definitely crucial. Now, I also, through my buddy Pax, he was able to connect and make sure that the AIS unit could also talk to the Garmin chart plotter that I have. And now I have that as an even an, another backup. So let's say the aerial disappears and then I don't do a good job with the spare aerial and that disappears. Now at least I can still hook it up to the Garmin and then it's going to use that GPS uh, so that I can transmit and all that sort of stuff as well. Now the VHF also has an AIS, uh, but it's just a receiver. It's not a transponder. Um so you really can only see the boats coming at you and you're not really relaying your position to them. So it's not quite as good. I think, you know, it, it's always going to be best if you can transpond and receive. And so the standalone unit does that. And that's that's what I prefer to use all the time, because I not only want to see them, but I want them to see me. And that's that's sort of the the biggest thing. So. As far as AIS goes, I got the standalone, and then I got backup aerials, and then I also have a backup uh, receiver on the VHF. So that's that's sort of my my detection. Now I don't run with any sort of radar on this boat. Um, I'm typically not in crazy fog-prone areas. I mean, I know I keep the boat in Maine uh, a lot during the summers, but we're out of the water and. You know, I'm usually out of those fog banks within a day or two, and then I'm off into the ocean. So if I was cruising Maine all the time, and that was sort of my gig, I probably would start looking at a little radar because, you know, it can be, you know, you want to use as much advantage uh, or you want to have as much advantage as far as navigating and collision avoidance as you possibly can. So I'm very lucky that I don't kind of hang out in those places just because it allows me to keep it simple. I know radar is a bit of a power consumer and it's complicated and it's expensive and all that stuff. I'm pretty sure this AIS setup was about $450 total. Uh, I can't be a hundred percent sure on that, but so it's expensive, but it's not insane. And installation is super easy because the GPS antenna is, is a piece of cake and you're just splitting it into the VHF aerial uh, for your transmission and all that sort of stuff. So that's the AIS on the boat, and that is an absolute must-have. As far as ship-to-ship -ship communications, I, again, went with an uh, ICOM, uh, and that's just a, a standard pretty much uh, VHF. I do also have, because that one is located in the nav station, I do also carry a handheld VHF so that when I'm coming up these rivers or if I need to be on deck, I can still communicate with somebody uh, without having to run down below, talk on the thing, and then run back up. And, you know, uh, it's one of those things you can, and I know some people that have installed a secondary uh, microphone up in the cockpit, 
again, it's one of those things where the expense has to be thought of and is it really going to be all that great? For me, it was sort of like, well, our, you know, I have this handheld and that was not that expensive and now I can take it absolutely anywhere. I'm not just relegating myself to the cockpit. And again, it's all just a personal preference, but I, I sort of go with that. And, and typically when I'm on the intracoastal or I'm coming up the rivers, I have that VHF, you know, up on deck with me um, so that I can communicate to any boats without having to actually go down below. But when it really comes down to trying to talk to somebody at a distance, nothing's going to be like a real deal VHF radio with the big aerial up on your spreader or on top of the mast because you're just going to get so much bigger range out of that. And especially even out at sea, you know, with ships and stuff, uh, when they're just over the horizon or really riding that line, you can still talk to them because that aerial is so far up there. Uh, but oh, let's see. Oh, we got people walking around the marina. Crazy. <laughs> um, as far as a chart plotter goes, I don't really use it. Uh Honestly, the only time I, I'm actually using it is when I just want to sort of look at an area that I'm about to, you know, pull into as far as port or if I'm trying to do a little passage planning or something like that. It's nice to have, but I've always been a paper chart kind of guy. I, I like I like having about seven or eight charts on the chart table. I got a big chart table on this boat so I can fully lay them out. <clears throat> and that just, you know, it allows me to sort of see in super detail where I'm going, what the plan is, and I don't know. I, I've always found that that is just a fun part of sailing, whether it's ocean sailing or pilotage or anything like that. It's, um, you know, it's it's nice. And I got to say that uh, the Navionics or NavX, whichever program it is that I use on my iPad, that is just so easy and so nice. And the fact that I can take it up on deck with me as long as the weather's okay, it's just... Um, it's like a godsend. It really is a game changer compared to back in the day when I was sort of learning my trade and, you know, drawing out little maps that I was basically copying out of pilotage books and things like that. I still do that now and again. Um, it just in case if things are a little squirrely, uh, I think it's always a good idea to have an actual, um, little paper copy of where you're heading so that if all else fails or something goes wrong, you still have an idea of, of the pilotage, uh, you know, where the buoys are and if there's dangers and things like that, just a rough idea so that you're not just flying blind after, for whatever reason, you know, the, the battery goes dead or the something happens or the iPad falls overboard. So as far as navigation goes, primarily um, I'm just using charts out in the ocean. And then when I'm having to do the pilotage coming into port and stuff, I'm using Navex. Uh, and then I suppose we have this Garmin as backup, but mine, again, it's located down below. Uh, it's at the nav station. I, I've seen a lot of boats that have that little swing arm so that you can like have it right up there in the cockpit with you. And I think that's really good. I mean, it's uh, it's definitely a smart way to go if if you are relying solely on that, which um, <clears throat> you know, it's always definitely good to have a backup. Never want to just rely on one thing and one thing alone. 
we have so many options these days. You know, it's <clears throat> I know the less you have, the more you're keeping on a budget, but you don't want to go so bare bones that it's kind of almost a little risky. You sort of have to weigh the risk and the reward of, of all these sort of things. Um, now on to, so that's, that's AIS, that's VHF, and then that's Garmin stuff. And I do, I guess the last note, so I've got the Garmin chart plotter. I've got the iPad, which has the charts on it as well. And then I do have a small little handheld Garmin GPS. And that's primarily just to give me, it doesn't have any charts on it. It's just to give me the, the GPS coordinates. And that, again, is just another backup. Um, you know, you never know. Uh, you might be on battery, on battery power only. And I mean, double A, not uh, 12 volt. And hey, it comes in handy. I know on this last trip to cut down on all the power consumption because I, I was running out of fuel, essentially, I was using that handheld. And that was the first time that I'd ever really had to use it. And it was nice to have kept me uh, knowing that I was going in the right direction and, and it was a, a good backup behind the compass and then also just a good backup to be able to uh, make sure I was plotting my noon positions and all that sort of stuff on the chart uh, accurately without having to turn on a bunch of electronics to slowly drain my precious battery power. Um, but yeah, so that's that's the navigation stuff. Now on to the weather. The weather is kind of an interesting one. And this one, I mean, I don't have full experience in all realms of different ways where you can get weather, but I have a few. And in the past, I was using a Iridium sat phone, the 9598 or whatever it is, and the, pretty much the standard one. And I was hooking that up to my computer. I was using a program called Zgrib. And the only problem is Iridium, I don't think, has really updated their ability to work with modern software on computers. So there were always glitches. It always took a long time. I mean, we're talking 15 to 20 minutes to download a five-day forecast. And eventually it would go through. And, and a lot of this could have been my own fault. But it's tricky. It's hard to set up the program. You have to go through the computer and, and modify a lot of stuff and do all this, this crazy stuff, which I've done so many times now and on multiple different computers. Uh, but it never, ever worked all that well. And, um, you know, having a little uncertainty when it comes to getting weather is always kind of unnerving uh, when you're out there. You want to be able to see what the heck is coming if you know if you're going to get steamrolled by tropical storm wanda you want to know where the heck that thing is and what it's forecasted to do so that you can be as prepared as possible now uh, now i switched up on this last trip uh to using the iridium go and the iridium go as far as streamlining the process was amazing and it was night and day from what i was doing before essentially just connecting it up to a smartphone and i had an app called luck grib which works great the downloads are quick you can do them a lot uh, before i would basically download weather maybe every like three or four days on this last trip oh man i mean especially with all the heavy weather going on i was able to do it pretty much every day quickly it never really got interrupted and um it was it was amazing. Now it did kind of 
when I think back on all the stuff that happened on the last trip, I think I was a little over confident in my abilities to see mostly the the Gulf Stream eddies and currents. So it can get you in a little bit of trouble. You know, you can't you can't just throw out the old old time wisdom of, you know, stay steer clear of the Gulf Stream when a gale is approaching. Um so, you know, lessons learned there for sure, but as far as the tech goes, uh, you know, I have that. So the Iridium Go and that has one smartphone and then one tablet that both have the same luck grip program on them. And so I have that. And that's essentially the, the iPhone's the backup for that. And um, yeah, that that gives me my weather. That gives me my currents. And I suppose it's also a backup if I want to contact people because you can still text message and send emails and things like that. So I, you know, I set all that stuff up, but I wasn't crazy about, you know, doing all of it. I didn't send any emails and I don't think I sent any text messages for, for those sort of communications. I still go back to the Garmin inReach, even though it's had this, this glitch that seems to keep on happening. So I don't know if I'm going to actually be using it anymore. There might be a, uh, a bit of a game change for the next voyage and forego the, the inReach. And essentially, it's always worked very well, except for one thing. Somewhere along the line, eventually, it starts to send text messages to the wrong people. And I'm, you know, I'm sending pretty normal updates, you know, what's going on and all that sort of stuff. I'm not sending controversial messages, so I'm not too worried about it. But when you get a response back saying, you know, hey, who is this? What's going on? And, uh, and then you're like, oh, man, that was supposed to go to my mom. And it went to, you know, my Uncle Larry, you know, something like that. It's not great because then all of a sudden you lose your confidence that you're actually texting the right people when you're actually texting. And, you know, it's kind of enjoyable out there, you know, sundown hour time and, you know, you're, you're cranking back with a, a nice little beverage. And, yeah, that's usually the time where I, I enjoy throwing out a few texts, you know, hearing from a few people. And when you're not sure if you're actually going to end up sending them to the right person, then it, it's it curbs it. That's so all you just find that you're not, you're not really communicating quite as much. So I think for the expense of it, which is like 60 something dollars for a month to be able to send as many text messages as you want. I thinking it's pretty much going to be, uh, I'm just going to forego it and I'm going to use it essentially just as a extra backup for a GPS coordinate because it's got an internal GPS. The only thing that I did like about it, um, other than the communication side of things, was that it did offer offshore weather. Now, it's not like what you would get through an offshore weather forecasting app like LuckGrib or ZGrib or any of those. It essentially takes your spot that you're at right now and you request the offshore forecast and it gives you like a five day or whatever forecast for that little area there. It doesn't give you cool maps. It doesn't give you any of that integration. It just tells you what the wind's going to be doing. The waves are going to be doing right then and there at that spot for the next like five days. So it doesn't really uh, compute into a sailing sort of uh, information 
age. Uh, that's not the right word. Uh, it doesn't really translate really well for sailors because we're on the move. And if we were just camping somewhere, yes, I'm sure it would be great. But, you know, it's one of those things where if I was in some really ugly weather and I wanted to see how long it was going to last, you know, I could sort of look at it and then deduct like, okay, so that is a low pressure system. I can see the winds are changing. They're swirling and they're going from this to that. And I could be like, oh, okay, so that must be a low pressure system because I've had to rely on the Garmin inReach once before as my sole sort of weather uh, updating thing because the Iridium or not. Yeah. The Iridium sat phone had basically completely died and besides my mom sending little updates, which she got very, very good at. Love you there, Ma. Love you. Shout out. Shout out to Irma. Um, yeah, it was it was sort of like, well, that was the only way I could sort of get any sort of glimpse uh, as to what was possibly coming. Now, having said that, uh, and this goes for the navigation as well, like I said, there's two tiers here. We've got the tech, the modern stuff, all electrical all battery operated, all with a thousand little parts in them that one goes wrong and the whole thing shuts down. For the navigation, I have a sextant, and I always have the updated nautical almanac, which is really, at, at, the, at the basic level, the only book that you really need to be able to get a pretty decent fix on your position anywhere in the world. Um, you know, you're using kind of, a, I don't want to call it a cheater's way of finding because latitude is easy. Longitude is the one that gets complicated, but you can, there's, there's little shortcut ways to do longitude where you don't need all of the big, crazy, um, <clears throat> the crazy almanacs and stuff. You can really just kind of get away with just the nautical almanac. So that's the backup, and I actually have two of those on board. I have a really nice one that uh, one of my supporters sent me a long time ago, and then I also have a plastic one for when the weather's really not great uh, as far as the waves and splashing and all that sort of stuff because these are delicate instruments, but having a cheapo plastic sextant, it works great, and if it gets wet, you just rinse it off. No big deal. So that's the, the uh, lower tier or the backup that's always there. So between the paper charts and the sextant, I'm pretty good. And obviously the compass up there. And I do have a backup compass. And, you know, you never know. Your compass might get smashed in or something like that. It's always good to have a little backup. I have a handheld. And then I just I think there was one on here, just a small little compass that, uh, you know, I just always kept it because you never know. Now, as far as the weather backup goes, really all it comes down to is the barometer. And that's going to be a pretty accurate showing of where you are in relation to any sort of weather system. You know, if the, if the pressure keeps rising and rising and rising, you can sort of imagine, okay, we've got a high pressure system around us. Where's the wind coming from? You can kind of tell where the center is. It's more apt for the low pressure systems because that's what you're kind of looking out for. But, you know, you you see the barometer start to drop and drop and drop. You see high-level clouds, wispies. You see the mare's tails. You see a mackerel sky, any of that sort of stuff. You're watching the barometer. You know, you feel the wind, the wind at your back. The center of the low-pressure system is going to be on your left in the northern hemisphere. So all these things can be used, essentially, to at least paint a 
imaginary picture in your brain of the overall weather patterns. Now, are you going to be able to know how severe it is? Well, not really. I mean, yeah, the barometer might be falling really slowly or it might be falling really fast, but I've watched that barometer do so many different things and gotten so many different results from it that, you know, it's crazy. I mean, the, the first little low pressure system on this last trip, I saw the barometer drop like 30 bars or something, if that's the right word for it, um, in uh, 24 hours or something. And all it was is it was just a very, very tightly packed low and it was small and it, you know, it was a near gale for sure, but it wasn't, you know, a hurricane. Um, so you always have to, I, I always think back to, again, Morticier saying, you know, the more I learn about the weather, the less I know. And it really is kind of, it's kind of true. You know, you think you got your cloud game, like on point, you're like, there it is. Those are the high level clouds. And then, you know, nothing happens. And then you're looking out at a, a beautiful day and you think, wow, this is, this, we should be in a good high pressure system. This would be great. And then they thing, you know, the thunderheads roll over the horizon. So, you know, none of this stuff can, you, you can't, there's no bulletproof way, which is why I think sailing is such a great thing because it's always a challenge. It's always a little bit different. And, uh, you know, you want to try and stay as safe as possible, but at the same time, you know, there's just not a, there's not a bubble, there's not a technological bubble that you can wrap around a boat and and make it any safer. Um, I don't think at least. And and you know, throughout the years I've learned that sometimes a little too much information can can kind of make you a little overconfident and uh, that's not a great thing to have. Um, the last thing I think that Mark was wondering about was the uh, Oh, depth gauge and wind indicator, anemometer, all that sort of stuff. I don't have a depth gauge on this, and I don't have an anemometer, and I do have a Windex. So I've got the little arrow up top on top of the mast. You know, I, I the only time I've ever really wanted to know exactly how windy it is is when you're going through really bad weather. And it's not a, oh, I'm going to adjust my sail plan to it. It's more just curiosity because I can only ever just estimate it. But is it going to prod me into getting like a Ray Marine set up and running all those wires and all that sort of stuff? Uh-uh, not even close. I mean, as long as I got an arrow up there and I've had that break off and disappear and still have like months of, of sailing left to do. And that's where our little ball of yarn comes in, in handy. You know, it's nice to be able to see exactly the wind direction. You can feel it. It's not 100% necessary. The more time you're out there, the better you get at your wind awareness. But I don't know. For my money, it's uh, those arrows up there. I think they're like 50 to 70 bucks. And that's all you really need. You just need to be able to see that sucker. You, you know, you know how hard you are on the wind or when you're – I use it more running downwind so that I know I'm I'm – just off of dead downwind, but yeah, it's, uh, I keep it simple and I do have, there's an old transducer on here and I'm sure I could somehow find a way to hook it into the Garmin so that I could get the depth. But again, I'm not sailing in a lot of areas where it's shallow. I'm not doing a lot of intracoastal stuff and I'm not doing, you know, where, when I am anchoring, I really am kind of looking at the charts trying to pick a good spot and um you know when i am anchoring 
it's typically going to be in the Caribbean and I could see the bottom. Um, but if I was up in a place like Maine and all that sort of stuff, uh, it might be a little bit different. But there's, again, there's other ways. There's cheaper ways and more old-time sailor ways of figuring that out. You know, I mean, you put a weight on a piece of line and mark it. And, hey, you got yourself a depth gauge right there, buddy. <laughs> it's awesome. And guess what? It didn't cost you next to anything to have it. Is it as easy as, you know, having a little depth gauge on a, on a little device? Eh, probably not. But you might feel a little cooler when you use it. You know, you whip that thing out and you're like, hey, guys, let's check depth. Bing. And you nail it because you've already, like, marked it off. I don't know. That's kind of cool. So, I typically try and stay in deep water. Uh, I, that one, I will definitely throw up the white flag and say I'm I'm not an expert in that because I don't do a lot of shallow water sailing. It's just not my it's not my bag. That's for sure. Um, and yeah, that's that's about it. I think that covers all of uh, all of the bases. And again, this was just a, a great question from Mark. Uh, wrote in just the other night and. I don't know. These are these are some of the stuff that I really like to get into because it doesn't have to be a crazy long podcast. And I like sharing this information because I think there are some misconceptions. I've known plenty of uh, boaters out there that and, and a lot of these people are just really into the tech. And, you know, we find that not only in sailing, but also out on uh, on the old trails and stuff. There's people that like the gear. And that's a passion of theirs, and there is nothing wrong with that at all because it is fun, it is interesting. But when it comes down to what you really need and what you actually don't need, and if you're trying to keep costs down and all that sort of stuff, then you know, I'm in that boat. So, from my money, it really is one of those things where I'm trying to do everything and have everything that I absolutely need, nothing more. Nothing less, and be able to uh, still have a couple of couple of bucks to uh, roll together and uh, and go grab a couple of beers. <laughs> I guess that's my that's my statement, and I'm sticking to it. Hopefully, this was helpful, and uh, everybody enjoyed it and stuff. Again, big big thanks to all the Patreon family and all the supporters and all all the listeners. Everybody's just it's fantastic. The amount of support I'm getting, the projects are going on on the boat. And uh, hopefully we are going to have the gallows here next week. And bang, bang, we are going to be putting them in and hopefully, possibly, fingers crossed, able to do some sort of small offshore trip before the summer starts and I have to get back to work. So we will see. Other than that, thanks for listening, and I hope everybody has a wonderful, wonderful week.